and welcome to the God Reports Podcast. My name is Rebecca. And I'm her husband, Sam. We love stories that describe the powerful way God is at work. In the Psalms, David writes, Proclaim among the nations what he has done. God Reports really does that. It shares stories and testimonies from the mission field. In the best of God Reports interviews, we have compiled raw phone calls by journalist Mark Ellis. He interviews the most inspiring Christians. We are so excited about our discoveries. We pray that your faith may be encouraged. Today's interview is with Nani Darwish. She chronicles her story of growing up in the heart of the Israeli-Arab conflict as a young girl in a Muslim family. Nani recounts how Jesus guided her out of a culture of jihad and pursued her until she gave her life to him. You will hear a powerful story of redemption and overcoming hate through the love of Jesus. We do hope you enjoy this interview from 2014. Well, usually where I like to start is by you talking about what your life was like before you came to Christ, if that's yes. okay. Sure. I was born in 1948 and grew up in the 50s as a child in the Gaza Strip. Uh, at that time, Gaza was under Egyptian control. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up in uh, a culture of jihad and martyrdom. Uh, really, in the heart of the Arab-Israeli conflict, my father headed the Egyptian military intelligence in Gaza, mm. and his job was to destroy Israel. Now, he had a very important position, it sounds like. Yes. Um, uh, how was it that he was stationed in Gaza? Because Egypt controlled Gaza. He's an Egyptian. Oh, okay. You know, because Egypt controlled Gaza, uh, the leadership in Gaza was all Egyptian. Okay, so they controlled that until the... Uh, the 67 war. Until the 67 war, okay. Uh, yeah, Egypt controlled Gaza till the 67 war, after which it went to Israel, and then it's now in an independent, uh, like an entity by itself. Now, were you aware of your some of your father's activities? And oh, yeah, it was in the open. If you go to mosques, if you, it's on the radio, it's... Wherever you go, all the music, the songs, everything was about hatred and anger and uh, portraying Jews as monsters. I really believed it as a child, and uh, hmm. I bought the propaganda just like everybody else. Well, tell me more about your youth. Um, what, what, how old were you when you were living in Gaza then? I was... Uh, my memories from child, uh, from early childhood until I was eight and a half was in Gaza. Okay. And, and then, then you my moved? father was assassinated. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, by Israel to end the jihad against uh, Israel and I. And we moved to, Gaza, to Cairo after that. And uh, he was a very honorable man, by the way, because mm-hmm. it's the whole culture that was like that. Yeah. The whole... Uh, religion. Well, um, so you lived in Egypt, in Cairo? After, yeah, after we moved back to Cairo. Mm-hmm. I lived uh, in a, really in a police state. 
And uh, I I lived under Islamic law, uh, and Islamic law is is really the most oppressive uh, law that ever existed. Huh. So, what kind of schooling did you have in Egypt? Uh, when I went to Cairo, Egypt, my mom took us to a Catholic school. Hmm. Uh, in Egypt, uh, there is a minority Christian population, Coptic Christian, and at that time, in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, Egypt used to, be, used to have British schools. Oh, okay. And British nuns, actually, Irish nuns. Yeah. Now, why did your mother send you there? Because of better education. All the elite, uh, elite uh, Egyptians went to these schools. You learned English. Uh, you, 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 you had better education than Egyptian schools. I see. Half the class was probably Muslim. But even though it was a Catholic school, during prayer times, uh, that's, that was the only time we separated. I see. Okay. But I, uh, even though I never participated in the Christian prayer, but I, I have, I've really noticed how different it was. Hmm. I, I never saw them curse. It's very different. Yes. They were praying for the country. They were praying for, for the whole nation, and it was very different from the Islamic way of and After the British schools, I went to the American University in Cairo. Okay. Which was another liberating experience because that's how I, I um, had a little glimpse of uh, Western, uh, more Western education. Mm-hmm. So from British education to American education, thank God I had that. And that was, <clears throat> that's why I could write books now. Yes, yes, because many uh, of the women in that culture are not educated, right? Well, not not really. Education in Egypt for women is encouraged, Uh-oh. but the uh, the kind of education you get in Egyptian schools is very different. From, okay, okay. From, uh, I was lucky to get Western education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, how did God reach you in the midst of all this? Well, God didn't uh, uh, reach me over there. Mm-hmm. I I didn't like Islam very much, but I did, I thought something was wrong with me. Uh-huh. And I thought, why don't I want to pray the Islamic? Why don't I want to reach God? Like, I see all these devout Muslims around me, and I'm not like that, you know. And hmm. I felt, why am I am I an atheist? Why am Why am I like that? So I came to America. I still considered myself a Muslim. Mm-hmm. So I went to a mosque here. In Egypt, women don't go to mosques. They, this was a, uh, but I noticed in America, the women go to mosques. Hmm. So I said, okay, how, how civilized I'm going to go check it out. Mm-hmm. So I went and I, I was really uh, shocked because the women were by themselves in a room. We could hardly hear the sermon, and the kids are top of our heads and uh, sitting on the floor, and I, I didn't like the sermon, and, and the sermon was saying that we're here to Islamize America and wear your hijab with pride, 
And I'm like, oh, my God, I never wore a hijab in the Middle East. Why should I wear it in America? Yes. Hmm. So I never went again. I went twice, and I never went again. And I lived in America for 17 years with nothing. Hmm. One time I told a friend of mine, I need, to, I need to go to a church, and I don't know which one to go to, because all the churches looked the same to me. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. They didn't know better. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, somebody told me, go to the Universal Unitarian Church. Well. I see, he found one not too far from my house, so I went, and I, I felt very bad about it. I hmm. said, if this is a church, I don't want to go to church either. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, uh, it was a shocking experience. It wow. Was not holy, and I felt like that's not what I, what I want from religion. It was hmm. very political. I went back home, and I, I just never went again. Mm-hmm. And then years passed. I, I took my kids to a Christian school. Well, an evangelical Christian school here in the United States. Yeah. And because uh, I wanted them to have good education with the same way I had my good education. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, my son one day came and told me, why, Mom, why don't you come to our church? I want you to go to heaven, Mom. <laughs> hmm. And I laughed, and I said, oh, no, that's okay. I just want you to have good education. <laughs> that's it. And then one Sunday morning, I was um, watching TV early in the morning, flipping channels, drinking my coffee. And I was watching one preacher after another after another. My daughter came in the room, and she said, Mom, why are you crying? And I said, I'm just very touched by this pastor. Hmm. And, And then she said, Mom, this is Dudley. He gives us Bible every Friday in our school. And I said, what? He's local? Hmm. And she said, yeah. Do you mean that he teaches them the Bible? Yeah. Okay. He became the senior pastor of the church of that school. Hmm. So the following Sunday, I woke everybody early in the morning, and I said, let's get dressed. We're all going to church. Hmm. And my kids looked at me like, yeah, and they went and got dressed. And I thought, they, I, I thought they were going to say, we want to sleep. We're not used to this. But I was very impressed that they got up. Yeah. And uh, we went to the church, and my life was never the same again. Hmm. I could not stop crying. The first service in the church, I was, my tears were covering my face constantly without, it's almost like the pain of all my life was just coming down my face. Just the, the pain? The pain, yeah. The uh. pain, the jihad, uh, the oppression, the police state I lived under, the, the tyranny of Islam. The, I, I mean, everything was just, I could not stop crying. And mm. I was so embarrassed, like, people are looking at, uh, are, you know, why is this woman crying, you know, uncontrollably? And, uh, well, his message was so different from anything I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, every word he said was a, 
a revolution in my, in my uh, mind. Even as simple as we're all sinners. Mm. This was a revolutionary statement. Because in Islam, they are all sinners. Mm. We are Muslims. Mm. They are all sinners. And our obligation is to make them like us by force, mm. whether they like it or not, through the concept of jihad. Yes. And this is totally different from Christianity. It's the opposite. Yes. Uh, uh, in Islam, we're the slaves of, of God, of Allah. Mm-hmm. The name Abdullah means slave of Allah. Mm-hmm. So the way we look at God is like we are slaves and he is God. Yes. In, 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 you know, the preacher that day said, we're the children of God. Oh, my God, a children of God? What a concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, every, everything that Christians take for granted, they hear it like normal, to me was a big revolution. Uh, a big mental revolution. Yes. Uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. Wow. That's a big feminist movement here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in Islam, it's one man, four women. Mm-hmm. Not one man, one woman. One man, four women, up to four women. Besides, mm-hmm. in addition to all the sexual slaves he can afford having. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely different concept. Uh, uh, in, in Christianity, God came down to save us. Mm-hmm. In Islam, we must save the reputation of Muhammad and Allah. Uh. And that's why if anybody insults them or hints that we go and riot and burn and kill because we cannot stand that our Prophet Muhammad or his, the Allah, is in any way criticized by anybody. Yeah. It's our duty to avenge God. Do you remember what the preacher said, or was there one thing that grabbed your mind? Or We're all sinners. Uh-huh. Okay. This word, we're all sinners, is such a humbling concept that doesn't exist in Islam. Yeah. Uh, well, going back to your c- conversion, um, did you go forward, or did do you remember anything unusual when you say that that first time you went to church that you think you were born again? Mm-hmm. Did anything different that hit, that hit you? Totally, totally. My whole concept of self was changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more tolerant with myself. I was more forgiving of myself mm-hmm. uh, because Jesus died for me. Mm-hmm. That made me feel unworthy of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. In Islam, everybody's walking with so much guilt. It's just unbelievable. It's such a burden. Yeah. It's, a, it's a burden to be a Muslim. And in my last book, The Devil We Don't Know, I have a a whole chapter written, written uh, is called A Muslim's Burden. Mm. How Islam failed the individual. It, it is just tragic. They are, they're really in bondage, it seems. Totally, totally yeah. in bondage. What a beautiful story of how the true living gods can touch and transform a life in a moment. And he didn't even stop there. He put his love 
for his own people in her heart. Of course, she's not against the Muslim people. She just takes a very clear stand against the ideology of Islam. We pick back up the interview at the tragic events of 9-11. They had a massive impact on Nani's life and led her into what she is doing now. Our God truly is a God of reconciliation and He can bring beauty from ashes. It sounds like life really changed for you and you began to be more involved in, in ministry. Absolutely. Uh, actually, if I was not a Christian, when 9-11 happened, that's when I really figured it right away. Islam is behind 9-11. Islam is not... A lot of the propaganda was like, uh, oh, Islam had nothing to do with what happened on 9-11. These were people who misinterpret the Quran and, you know, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. That's not true. And uh, that's, that's how I started my, what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I see. So 9-11 was a, a pivotal event for you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, uh, it, what happened is I was visiting Egypt for the first time in 20 years in the summer of 2001. Okay. Uh, my kids were all born here, and they wanted to see Egypt, so it was summer vacation, and I said, let's go spend August, which is the hottest <laughs> month of the year in Egypt. and Only one month before, the, before 9-11. Yeah, and uh, over there, I used to be a journalist for a few years before, uh, after I graduated college, before coming to the States, and... Uh, so I got all the newspapers and looked at them, and it's all about jihad, cursing the Jews, insulting the American ambassador because he was Jewish, mm. uh, writing total lies and fabrications about Israel and America. Mm. I mean, crazy stuff, uh, things that you would never um, imagine a journalist would do that. So they don't want the um, Islamic public to be grateful for America or for Israel. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't want them. So whenever America does anything positive, the propaganda very quickly has to, to explain it as something evil. So people won't, will never, uh, will never soften towards the evil empire. Well, is this, um, is this a universal sentiment, or are there some journalists who are more uh, Western-oriented? Even the most educated Western, they uh, stay silent, but they hmm. cannot expose the lies, because if they expose the lies, they get killed. Oh, my. So this was uh, quite an eye-opening experience to go back Absolutely. Uh, my kids were with me in a taxi cab one time. The taxi cab driver was cursing the Christians. My daughter was, of course, born here. She was 18 at that time. She looked at me and said, Mom, what is this? I've never seen anything like that. And I said, Welcome to the Middle East, sweetheart. Isn't that something? Yeah. Then we returned on September 10th at night. I came in the airplane 
coming home, which was a very long flight. September 10th, you returned? Yes. Oh, I my. The night of 9-11. Wow. We arrived at LAX at 11 o'clock at night. And I, uh, my kids, my daughter the, wouldn't stop talking in the airplane about how grateful she is that I brought her up in America. Mm. Because she said, if you had told me uh, a story, uh, what I've seen by myself, I would never have believed it. Isn't that something? So then uh, the very next day... The very mo- next morning, at LA time was 6 a.m., and I, my alarm is at 6 a.m., and I woke up, and I heard the news. I ran to the TV, turned it on, and, and I saw the second airplane. I first saw the one airplane, and I said to myself, this is jihad, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the, the pilot had a heart attack or something. Yeah. And then when the, air, the second airplane hit, I knew right away. This is the jihad that I was holding in the newspapers in Egypt. Uh, and uh, uh, lo and behold, the head of the 19 terrorists, his name is Muhammad Atta. But mm. from Cairo, the same city I came from. Mm. And from an educated class. Mm. And that's when I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was still, I had just left the people in Egypt. I just said bye to many friends and family. So I ran to the phone, trying to have them comfort me, because I was crying. I wanted them to comfort me. What have we done wrong to bring up young men who think it's a virtue to do what they did. Yeah. I wanted them to, to comfort me. I wanted the people I just left at the airport who went, came to say bye to me. I wanted them to say, this is wrong. And I called at least seven, eight people, and they all said the same thing. How dare you say that Arabs did this? Don't you know this is a Jewish conspiracy? The Jews are behind it. What do you think all these people who were running from the buildings, they knew it was coming? These were mostly Jews. Can you imagine that kind of uh, ignorance? It's it's, it's, It's crazy. And I hung up the phone and wept. Hmm. Mark, I could not hold myself from crying, and it was a very lonely feeling. I don't wish this on anybody because it's a feeling of I don't belong to my culture anymore. Hmm. I cannot relate to them. I felt very alone. Hmm. And I ran to the computer. And I felt so, that was the first time in my life I feel that the Jews were the victims of Islam. The hmm. number one victims of Islam are the Jews. Interesting. And I realized that because there is no excuse for blaming even your worst enemy of something that you know very well that you have done yourself. Hmm. No ideology, no religion 
should think it's a virtue to accuse your enemy of something that you've done. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if if a religion finds that to be a virtue, then that religion, that ideology, is evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went and to the computer and wrote an article why I support the state of Israel. Mm. And I wrote about the jihad against Israel and the accusations that they are behind 9-11. And I, I posted it, and suddenly I'm getting emails from everybody. Can you please, uh, can we publish your article? Can you publish your article? Can you please come and speak? Hmm. So that's how I started. I, okay. never plan- I never planned to do what I'm doing. Isn't that something? It was just a... It was just a reaction that was very sincere, but but formed. God was mo- shaping you through all these experiences. And Absolutely, He shaped me so much, and I'm so very grateful that He shaped me and kept my my mind <laughs> sane. <laughs> God blessed me. He He get me squeaky clean mm-hmm. out of all of that and uh, blessed me so much. Now, did you start an organization then at some point? Yeah, I started uh, Arabs for Israel mm-hmm. to promote uh, the idea that Arabs should really look twice about how they view the Jews and Israel and uh, cleanse themselves from this hatred and uh, and to give voices to to people who are from the Middle East who don't want to be uh, hateful towards the Jews. Mm-hmm. And they, unfortunately, these are very small in numbers, but at least there's always a beginning. Yes. There's always uh, somewhere to start. And, uh, and then I started another second organization called FormerMuslimsUnited.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, re- the reason we did that, because most of us, we were living in the United States, afraid of being killed because we left Islam and became Christian. Or we left Islam and just left Islam. Mm-hmm. And you say the numbers who are part of, who have joined you, are small at this point? Yeah, absolutely. But there is a lot of uh, uh, people who contact me uh, from the Middle East who are my fans, who are telling me we have we are we're now Christians, we left Islam, but what can we do? We have to hide the Bible, we we cannot we cannot openly, we can't go to a church, we'll be killed. Yes. I am trying to help some uh, former Muslims here in the United States, young men and women who who are um, who need help. Yes. They it takes enormous courage and uh you could not do it without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. I could never have done any of this mm-hmm. without the Holy Spirit, the support of, uh, of the Christian community in the United States, also the support of our laws in the United States. Right. Do you have concerns about your own safety? Oh, absolutely, but I can't dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Because if I dwell on it, I won't do anything. Do you get threats? I do. I have uh, some hate mail. 
mm-hmm. but not too much, not a lot. I think because I don't communicate much with the Muslim world, not in Arabic, my, my, uh, my mission really is to protect the Judeo-Christian culture of America mm. by making Americans aware of the threat. But to, in, to engage the Muslim world in the open, I will, uh, I'll get killed. Mm-hmm. I'm respectful when I speak to them because I am not against the Muslim people. I'm against the ideology of Islam, mm-hmm. not the people. Yes, I understand. Yes. Well, thank you for what you're doing, and I so appreciate your ministry, and, and I will do my part to get your story out. And, and uh, I wish you well and uh, God's protection and favor in your ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Okay. I appreciate it. B- blessings to you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. What an encouraging testimony about the impact that one life can make. It makes me more grateful for the simple truth of the gospel. We felt led to end this interview by praying for the Middle East and Muslims around the world. Wherever you are listening, would you join us now in prayer? Jesus, we, we lift up our Muslim brothers and sisters, God. We pray that uh, even now, wherever they are, God, that you would wake them in dreams, you would reveal yourself to them, and God, that you would come uh, to the beautiful men and women, the families, the children, God, and reveal yourself as Yeshua, as the Messiah, God. And we just know that um, you're already moving in the Middle East. We pray for um, countries like Afghanistan and those others that are in the Middle East that um, are, are really struggling right now. God, would you provide for the broken and the hurting and those that um, need you oh so desperately. God, we lift up all the, the Muslims that they would come to the knowledge that you are Jesus, that you are the, the good father that they always long for just like Nani experienced. We bless them in the name of Jesus. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. For more testimonies, go to godreports.com.